Welcome to the more big picture topic. And this week's topic is basically going to filter into the programming of many different individuals, whether you are interested in rehab, so you're recovering from some sort of injury, pain, surgery. It's going to be, it might be an important consideration. It's also going to be important for people who are training for hypertrophy, strength, sports performance. Um, these are ideas that, that you'll hear very, very frequently. So Patrick, what are those ideas and what is this week's topic? So today's topic is, as Gary said, the more meta topic. And in particular, today's topic is uh, a concept that is propagated in the fitness industry by some individuals. And it's not necessarily something I disagree with, but you should be aware of the pros and cons or whatever you want to call them of both these things that we're going to talk about in a second. So uh, essentially the, the overarching topic is should you qualify for movements, right? And what I mean by that is should you be able to do certain movements before you're allowed to graduate onto a more complex movement, right? And essentially that can then be broken down into two different streams or thought processes. You can have the the proponents of we'll call it structural balance, right? For example, you should have a left right side, or you should not have any left right side asymmetries, you know. Uh, and then you also have the other thought process, which these are not necessarily dichotomous. Like you can still have both of these thought processes at the same time. Uh, you have the, the thought process of we'll call it progression regression, right? In terms of to, to make this more clear for the listener, how these two, two concepts differ. Say you have an individual that comes to you and they want to, you know, I don't know, build bigger legs or get stronger in the squat, right? So you look at that individual and you're like, okay, we want to progress you to the squat. Right now, perhaps you're not in a position to actually squat effectively, right? If you are in the we'll call it the structural balance crew, you might think that, okay, the way I'm going to get you to this is I have these strength standards for these particular movements that I like to see people achieve before we allow them to graduate onto the squat, right? And that could be something as simple as you start them off at, I don't know, a split squat. And once they've achieved uh, a number in that that you're happy with, I don't know, 50% of their body weight for 12 reps, whatever it is, you know, you, you pick some sort of arbitrary number to you. Maybe it's not arbitrary. You have reasoning and you have a belief system that says that that number then allows you to have the ability to squat. So you pick some sort of, we'll call it structural balance exercise, which, you know, aims to get rid of any kind of bilateral deficit, you know, there, so your left side and your right side are both as strong as each other. And, um, and then once you've achieved certain strength standards in that, then you are allowed potentially graduate onto a more complex movement. And then you are allowed to graduate onto a the movement you want to graduate onto, which is the squat. So you have to qualify for all these movements or all these strength standards before you're allowed to progress to that particular uh, exercise, you know? And then even then it could be that exercise that you want to progress to could have, could be a qualifying move for other moves, you know? 
Um, so that's the kind of structural balance side of things. And then on the progression regression side of things, you might again have that same individual and you go, okay, we're not actually able to squat effectively. You're coming to me, you've never done a squat before. Um, and we're going to choose uh, a regressed type of squat that you can still load and still get the, a training effect and then we'll progress once you are able to effectively squat just once you're able to do it we'll progress you on to the the back squat that we we have a belief system is the the best exercise for the goal right um <clears throat> so for example this could look like okay the individual comes to you you get them to do some goblet squats and once you're like okay your technique is pretty proficient with goblet squats you're able to keep a, a an upright posture you're able to get to a, a good depth that we deem is you know adequate for your your hip mobility your anthropometry everything we're like okay that's good now we can progress on to the squat so the two two thought processes aren't necessarily like dichotomous they're not like oh you're either a structural balance crew or your progression regression crew you know like you could have the same thought process like you could be like okay what well, we need to do if you're like i'm going to regress it like you might need to regress it to a stage where it's like okay, we actually need to get you to be able to do a split squat or some sort of lunge pattern. And we're going to use that as our regression to then progress to a squat. So they're not necessarily dichotomous. However, generally speaking, the structural balance crew or whatever you want to call them have a thought process of certain strength standards must be met before you're allowed graduate to a certain movement right so again as i said they might have a a certain number in their head that it's like you must be able to do 50 percent of your body weight for 12 reps uh, in the split squat before you're even allowed to think about doing back squats you know whereas the progression regression crew they might some of them do have uh, strength standards that they like to see but the majority of people are looking at it I'm basically using these progressions or regressions to effectively teach you technique. And once you're able to master that technique, like you have the strength to be able to do it, it's not some number that we're looking for. It's basically just once I feel you're adequately prepared to load the more progressed exercise, exercise, then we'll get you onto that, you know? And so what are your thoughts, Gary? So obviously those two, two, two things aren't like hugely dichotomous. They're not like, oh my God, they're worlds apart. But I think there are some intricacies that should be dealt with before, like for everyone listening. Again, if you're a coach, this is obviously very applicable. Uh, if you are an individual, you might've heard these things before and you might be kind of say fearful around doing certain movements because you're like, I don't qualify for that movement. Um, so like, how do we navigate this, Gary? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always like, very skeptical of any statement that claims that we need to reach certain prerequisites before we can do a certain task, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll steal man that position in a minute and give you examples where this is really, really important. But like for the vast majority of people, I think it's a bit of a problem when you start to say that you need to be able to do these arbitrary, meet our arbitrary standards before you can move on to relatively common exercises. Like when we're talking about things like squats, you know, deadlifts, common weight training exercises, 
um, it, it's difficult to argue that someone wouldn't just be able to do them at a weight that they can tolerate that's at an appropriate appropriate level of challenge for them at the moment. And we start to basically say that people need to meet all these standards first. It's, I don't know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't seem very, very honest. And it's also not like particularly scientific when you actually look into it in terms of the actual reasoning that there the evidence that that's there to support it very often doesn't justify it especially if we're going to be telling people that they can't engage in tech. Pat said steel man the position where the if someone has had a stroke or some sort of neurological injury and they have like really significant motor weakness or paralysis on one side of their body, for example, in that case, you know, very clearly we want to, you know, we have to meet certain prerequisites before we can get on to doing more advanced tasks. So in that case where someone has had a stroke, you might want to do more um, isolation type exercises or lower level type exercises for half of the body before you start to get to higher level tasks. An example would be doing something like a, a glute bridge in the bed where you're where the, the physio is supporting one side raises in the bed or even like static quadriceps contractions depending on the person's level so there's this kind of hierarchy of right we're going to create these lower level challenges before the person can get to doing something like a, a sit to stand you know which is basically a squat so a sit to stand from the edge of the bed that's a very clear logical um progression that includes you know considerations of balance between sides of the body and prerequisites progressing um, into more complex tasks as you move along. But I guess the problem there is that we're often not dealing with people who have um, this level of weakness and this level of asymmetry in everyday life. Um, so, but we will get onto that. Another example would be someone who has had repeated hamstring strains or hamstring tears um, in that case, you're going to be pretty concerned with trying to bring back hamstring strength between sides um, as best as you can. You're not going to get it to a, a level of zero, probably. There's always going to be some level of difference, like that's normal in humans. But you're, you're, like if you were seeing a 20, 30% difference in strength between sides, you might be saying, do you know what? We should probably hold off on the top, top end sprints until we kind of build up this hamstring strength a little bit more. Um, so again, that's a logical example. Another logical example is post-ACL surgery. One of the big considerations is trying to regain quadriceps strength, okay? And so before someone gets back to their return to sport, you're gonna be saying to them, we, we, we need to really try and bring this quadriceps strength deficit um, a little bit closer together. Um, so again, very logical, like very clear reasoning why we're taking someone from a very low level to close to the highest level they're going to get to with those specific fitness characteristics. Now, the problem is we can't necessarily extrapolate from those circumstances and assume that that applies to me or you, Patty, because when we're looking, if, you're, if you were to look at the general population and even if you were to look at athletes, you'd see lots of, you know, non-zero differences between strength on either side between range of motion on either side of the body, between, um, let's say, leg length. You know, there's lots of different characteristics that can vary between people. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to be able to, one, achieve a very high level of performance, and two, um, basically not be injured all the time. Because I think that's the impression that people get, is that if I go into these activities, having not met the prerequisites that were set for me, then I'm going to get injured, I'm going to have problems with pain, and you know that's going to be something that always challenges me. And there are many, many, many counterexamples that would make you at least question whether or not this, this hypothesis or theory stands. You know, um, one example would be um, Hussein Bolt. You know, he's got he's got a fairly significant leg length discrepancy between sides, meaning one leg is is longer than the other. And as a result, when you actually measure the the, the, the mechanics of his running, his sprinting, you see differences of about, I think it's 13 or 14% between left and right when he's actually sprinting at his top speed. That's pretty damn significant. But when you actually zoom out and you're like, all right, what are we actually concerned with? Okay, he's the fastest man in the world. Cool. Like, I'm, I'm, like he's, he's doing fine. You know, he's doing, he's doing just fine. And of course, you can make the case that maybe he'd do better if he didn't have that. But I mean, can't really make that case because like you, you just don't know you don't you don't have evidence to show that in someone at his level and so so there's that and like there's other examples of, of very very high level powerlifters his name escapes me now but he's also one of the best powerlifters that, that ever lived pretty much and he suit to his ear on Instagram of similar cases and there's also cases of you know people with cerebral palsy who like it's, it's basically characterized by like lots of differences between left and right and both in terms of like muscle tone and when I say tone I, I don't mean like looking good in the beach it's like literally like spasticity and stuff like that um yeah so so there's lots of examples that that would at least make us question this idea that do we really need to have all these prerequisites for the general population and I suppose the the next question that someone might, might ask or would be like, well, you know, if, even if it's not the case that, that we need them, like, mightn't there be a benefit to having a sort of a, an introductory process to exercise where someone has to meet certain standards? And I, I like that idea. I'm sympathetic to the idea. But the problem is where someone is struggling to meet those standards or someone doesn't meet those standards and they wonder, all right, am I, am I, am I not supposed to engage in these tasks now? You know, I'm, I was speaking to a friend recently who, you know, had been receiving some personal training education, you know, very good personal training education. But one of the things that he was that he was taught and he was unsure about was the idea that he needed to have a particular. kind of standard which are they have quote-unquote structural balance between left and right um, and and basically correcting all these deficits that were assumed to be present as a result of working in an office or whatever or working a sedentary job and i guess like that's a bit of a problem when you start to assume that there are certain deficits that need to be corrected and that someone can't get right into a more standard exercise program right away because like you if, if it is the case that let's say someone does have a left left side left side weakness, let's say their, their quad or, their, or their, their hip musculature in general are five to 10% less hypertrophied or less strong than the right-hand side, and you get that person to go and squat or deadlift, like what is the actual risk? Because like, like basically what, what you're looking at is a case where right one side might, be, might, might have a bit more in the tank, one side has a bit less, less in the tank, 
you're ultimately going to end up at a level of performance both sides of the body and the training effect might be slightly higher on one side because it's working a little bit harder like like what's the actual risk there like to me it just sounds like all right one side might be stimulated a little bit more and hopefully that side would also be a little bit more sensitive to training one could argue because it hasn't been stimulated as much up to this point to be to to get those adaptations so like I just don't see the risk that is there. I think the people, the risk that people often see is that I'm going to worsen a problem if I do bilateral exercises, or if I don't address a particular postural deficit, so to speak, I'm going to worsen the problem. You know, if someone has, if someone appears like they don't have a perfectly upright posture with shoulders pinned back, you know, um, more Do these exercises, but I'll let you interject with any thoughts that you have. I didn't hear anything you said after someone should have a, an upright posture. Oh, you didn't hear it? Okay. Um, which part was that? Uh, so the bench was that before I talked about the bench press? I don't know, Gary. <laughs> um, the So sometimes, so sometimes what you'll, what you'll hear is that office workers, you know, they'll, they'll, there's basically this idea that if someone works in an office, if someone has a sedentary job, they're going to present with a certain stereotypical presentation where maybe their head will be poking forward. They're going to have like weak rhomboids. They're going to have tight pecs. Their shoulders are going to be rounded forward. They'll have tight hip flexors. And we need to correct all these problems before this person can exercise. And like, that 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 just that just falls down and, and doesn't really stand for me because you're just assuming that one all these presentations are going to be present so you're going to have all of these these features and um, two you're assuming their their cause you're assuming that if someone does present that their shoulders appear to be a little bit forward that you know exactly why that is the case and three you're assuming that there's a a solution that that is there and that that solution is required before someone can get into conventional exercise. And the question I would always ask is, if you are worried that someone's, you know, resting shoulder position currently is like, it's not appropriate for the bench press, ask yourself, what is the risk? Like, what is the risk here that I get this person on the bench press, they start to get stronger, what exactly is going to happen? You know, there's this, there's this idea that someone is going to have quote unquote upper cross syndrome, which is basically described as that presentation that I just, just described where, you know, the person's, the person's shoulders are rounded forward. They've got tight pecs, weak upper back muscles. Like that's typically the narrative that is sold to people. And it's just like pretty much unfounded. There's no, there's no evidence to support that we need to correct these things in people and that they need to be corrected before someone can just engage in an exercise program. So I think we're doing like, it's, it's not a, it's not harm free. I think there's harm there where we start to tell people that they can't exercise, where we start to tell people that they have all of these problems. Um, and I, I just don't think the, the benefit outweighs, outweighs the cost in this case. Yeah, like my main concern with we'll call the structural balance crew, whatever you want to call it, right, um, is that it delays the learning process, right? And what I mean by that is it delays the neurological adaptations you get to 
that particular exercise. Again, whatever you want to choose, an upper body exercise, you're like, oh, you have internally rotated shoulders a little bit because you sit at a desk. Even if you do present with that, it's like, oh, we're just, we're staying away from any bench press activities or anything like that. I'm like, that's, that is an exercise that has a, a learning curve, you know? And now you've just delayed that learning curve. And as we talked about previously, like, I'd rather you were just a beginner once rather than a beginner multiple times, right? And that's not to say, no, you never bring in new exercises or anything like that. But the way I look at it, I'm like, you should be learning the technique. And you can actually do both of these things at the same time. This is where it kind of annoys me where it's like, you must achieve these structural balance numbers again they're arbitrary to some extent like again like i know these people have reasoning for the numbers or at least they they say they do um but at the same time it does delay learning other exercises you know the one that you actually want to get onto so effectively you get you get achieve structural balance you get whatever whatever arbitrary number they've set again whatever it is you have to do single arm fucking landmine presses before you're allowed bench press. I don't know, whatever the fuck they're like, this is my, this is my structural balance exercise. Right. Um, and then you've achieved those standards. You then go to do your actual exercise, the, the bench press, which is the one you wanted to get onto. And you are starting from scratch now because while, yeah, you have built up some strength, you've built up some whatever musculature from doing the other exercises you are effectively a beginner at that exercise. You have to get all of those neurological adaptations. You have to effectively learn the technique again. You know, well, not again, for the first time, you know? And that could be after you training for six, seven months. You know, it's like this, that has just delayed your progress in that exercise. Now, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because as Gary was saying earlier on, like you could have individuals that they, you need to do this process. You need to, like I had a client that had, multiple sclerosis and one of their the sides of their body was effectively weaker than the other right and the, the process i brought them through was okay so something like a bilateral squat you know like your two feet are on the ground you know where you perhaps aren't able to do this as effectively if you as if you had two fun functioning legs or equally functioning legs and um, but I didn't stop them from squatting. I was just like, okay, so perhaps we're not going to go all out max effort squats totally to failure. We're, we're using squats as a tool to still get some hypertrophy response in the legs, yeah, but we're also just trying to, we'll call it tidy up the technique of those squats while we're also working on achieving this quote unquote structural balance. You know, We were doing some single leg work, we were strengthening both sides but I wasn't delaying their learning curve of that exercise that I eventually wanted them to get onto purely because I was like, Oh, well you, you're not structurally balanced. Right. And again, it's not necessarily that you have to do a back squat or whatever. It was just, it, it fit the individual's goals. It fit the individual's anthropometry overall, you know? So it was like, okay, this is going to be a good exercise for you. And while we do have this left, right side asymmetry, we can deal with that while we're still learning this technique. And, we're just not going to push things on the, the squat to where we know you could probably muscular, muscularly, whatever, uh, do. You're going to have some asymmetry. Your hips are going to shift. Something's going to go down because one of your legs doesn't work as effectively as the other side, right? And like it was a, it was a pretty severe deficit, you know? Um, but we built it up over time, you know? So I'm, I'm not saying there's an issue with a structural balance approach. My issue is with the delayed um, 
starting of a, an exercise that you eventually want to get onto because then you have to relearn the technique. However, I do think there are definite advantages to having some sort of on-ramp uh, process to beginners, you know, where it's like, okay, I want you to be able to do X, Y, and Z things before we progress onto these more complex things, you know, but at the same time, the, the progression scheme should make sense. This is why I like more of a regression progression because you can still be learning the technique or the pattern of movement in a safer environment, right? And for example, one of the ones that I like, say you've never squatted before, you're like, okay, well, your back squat, you just can't do it, right? You're just all over the place. You don't know how to, you know, stabilize your body. You don't know how to use a coordinated movement to do that. Getting you onto something like a leg press, and being like, this is how you actually use your legs, right? Progressing that for a few weeks and being like, okay, so this, this is good. We've now strengthened these, these muscles. Um, again, we're talking about someone will say that's an older individual. They're whatever, in their 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, They've never done any exercise. You're like, okay, we're going to get you in a safe environment, get you feeling good about you know, uh, loading your body, progressing your body. And okay, we start off in a very, very safe environment. We start in a squat. You know, or sorry, we started in the leg press. Then we're like, okay, so let's, while we're doing that, still learn the technique of squatting. Let's get you doing some sort of like goblet squatting, right? Your technique may be awful to start with, right? But all we're doing with that exercise is effectively a learning exercise. We're still loading the quads. We're still progressing the, the musculature, getting all those adaptations that we want with the leg press, right? But we're also then learning the movement we want to eventually get onto we're doing something like a goblet squat so you're still again loading the musculature you're learning the pattern you may not be you know going to absolute failure you may not be getting the absolute most out of that exercise but effectively it's a learning exercise and you're using that as a progression to get onto this more effective exercise or this exercise you believe to be more effective for that individual you know so i Personally, I fall, always fall into the camp of the progression regression and then using the thought process of this structural balance to address, you know, imbalances, but not have the, the qualification thing. That's, that's effectively my qualm with the, the structural balance stuff. It's the, the qualification thing in terms of you must be able to do X, Y, and Z standards before you're allowed to progress because I believe those standards to be arbitrary, right? And <clears throat> what I mean by that is like, I could set standards, right? Based on my experience of training, right? Again, I have a, I have a left, right side asymmetry in my leg length, right? And um, I also have Osgood Slatter disease, actually it's called these days, um, on the same side that is slightly longer, right? So those two things are probably related. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I could then tell everyone to do certain exercises that benefited me who also have, has ridiculously long femurs cause I'm nearly six foot six. Um, so I could, I could arbitrarily tell everyone that these are the strength standards you must achieve before you're allowed to do X, Y, and Z based on my experience of training. Right, but I could also go even a step further because I have a, a box splits and I have a, a front splits. Right, so I'm able to do both of those things. Right, so I could then say, "Oh, you're not allowed squash until you're able to do a box splits. It's just your 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 hips aren't open enough to be able to do it. So we're going to progress your splits. We're going to pre- progress the mobility in your hips before you even think." of looking at a bar or even doing a squat pattern. You just don't have open enough hips. Uh, like even in a, 
quote unquote unloaded environment with just your body weight. Oof, I wouldn't be doing that. You know, your hips aren't open enough. That's, that's a recipe for injury. Again, like I come up with these arbitrary standards, you know, and you see this a lot, especially people trying to sell mobility where they're like, oh, you don't have a functioning hip if you're not able to do this, or you don't have a functioning shoulder if you're not able to do this, you know? And it's like, these standards are arbitrary. And while I do believe a lot of those people are coming from a good place, a good intent, good intention place, a place of good intentions, <laughs> um, I think ultimately it can lead to people being fearful of exercise and <clears throat> it can delay people doing exercises that will be beneficial for their goals or for their overall development as a, a well-rounded moving human you know and um, so that's that's kind of my qualm with the whole issue and again i actually think that first of all there's great there's really good positives to the we'll call it strength standards structural balance stuff you know but i also think i'm like you can take all of the benefits of that all of that thought process which is is good especially for certain populations as, as we've addressed right and it's definitely good if there is some sort of left right side asymmetries or imbalances whatever you want to call them present in the body or like Ari was saying earlier on like you have an office worker and you're like okay i think that they're going to have these things you could be like this is a population that i think is going to have these issues you can have a plan of action that includes this structural balance stuff you can have that's perfect i just don't think you should also delay the learning of other exercises like you can use you can use a progression regression type thing and layer on the structural balance stuff like it's very easily to do you could be like all right we're going to do our first exercise we're effectively learning the squat pattern right i think you have a left right side asymmetry so we're not going to fucking go balls to the wall all out with this but effectively that first exercise is a is technique work you know and we're, we're just using it to learn the squat pattern. Again, you can do it in a safe environment. You can be like, all right, we're, let's get onto the, the hack squat machine and let's learn it there, you know, or let's get onto a goblet squat or whatever it is. You're just, you're actually learning that technique that you want to get onto. Yeah, cool. Then layer on all your structural balance stuff. If you're like, I think that they should have uh, whatever, 50% uh, for their split squats for 12 reps or whatever it is, you know, or they should be able to lunge half their body weight or what, whatever you think the, the standards should be. That's cool. Do that after you're still getting them to learn the exercise you want to get them to progress to. Because in my mind, at least, that's a, that's a better approach than them, than them having to then learn the exercise six months down the road, you know? Because it's like, okay, well, I've been doing all this structural balance stuff. Uh, you've i've achieved these this, this structural balance i've achieved the the target maybe they haven't and they, that's that's an even worse position to be in because then they're like well i've never achieved that so i can never get onto these other exercises and it's like okay that's 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 not a great thing for someone to be fearful of exercises or to be like oh i don't qualify for that movement um but you, you get them to that then six six months down the road and then they still have to learn a new exercise that's that's kind of demotivating where you're like Oh, I've been pushing myself so hard, and now we progress onto this other exercise, and I'm just not able to do it. You know, it's like you said I qualify for it now, but my technique is still shit. I can't do this movement. I have no coordination. I'm not able. You know, they're not able to actually do the exercise that you want to get them onto. And again, that's that's quite demotivating for someone who feels they've been training, they've been working hard for six, seven, eight months, and now they're back to being a beginner. You know, so that they are kind of my qualms with it but i also don't think it is a, a bad approach but anyway i've been talking for a while gary let's hear your thoughts 
Yeah, so, so it's a funny thing, but before like, I was, I had an exam on ethics and law this week, so this is fresh in my head. But basically, in Ireland, what you do if you uh, if you're trying to see if someone has is able to to make a decision for themselves, you, you, the basic the basic thing you, you want to start with is assume capacity. Okay, so you assume capacity, and then you do everything that you can to try to enhance that capacity if it's potentially compromised, okay? Instead of saying, this person does not have capacity, we're gonna take over, make, make all these decisions, whatever. Um, like, that's not exactly what you wanna do. And there's actually so many parallels that you can draw here because like, that is my actually like fundamental starting point with that guys. We get asked all the time from trainers, what's your screening process? You know, what, what screens do you have people go through before they, can, before they can start to do a standard exercise program? We always answer like, to be honest, like it's, it sounds very unscientific. It sounds like it's not, you know, it's not this big fancy sciencey approach, but I always assume capacity. Like that's what you do. You, you assume capacity at the start. I assume that if someone is signing up, that you're actually going to be fine to do all these exercises. You know why? Because it's, it's resistance training. Like it is squatting. Like you, you're, you're getting up out of the toilet every day. I assume you could do a squat, you know, obviously the, the, it's going to vary massively between people in terms of how they execute that squat, how much weight is going to be on the bar, what problems they might have with that technique. But I assume that someone has the capacity to be able to do a basic squat exercise because like, this is not gymnastics. Like this is not advanced contemporary dance. At the end of the day, it's, it's weight training. Like it's a, the things that we do are very, very simple. And the main means of progression is not it's not it's not like this extensive skill development like yeah there's there's an element of skill development but the basic progression is adding more weight to the bar over time so for me that is enough variation in the per person starting point for me to feel comfortable prescribing these exercises to people and um, because like you know like what what's the worst that can happen you you give someone all right let's let's start with some some barbell back squats and the person's like oh god that was really awkward you know you're watching them do the back squat it looks really uncomfortable they're folding over they can't really get it and you repeat it a few times and you know if, if they're totally just not getting it and they want to take a step back that even the bar is just too heavy for them to learn the movement you do a goblet squat you know it's enough you know you, you said that yourself doing a goblet squat that's a perfectly fine um regression and the thing is it's barely a regression because all you're doing is like, you're still doing pretty much the exact same movement. You know, it's, it's a big step to take the person out of the movement and to say, you know, we're just going to do single leg bridges um, until you have a certain level of strength. And I've seen that with people. Like I've had clients sign up who have been told that they're not allowed to deadlift until they had achieved some kind of arbitrary cat camel style. Like they had to go through a cat camel style program with, hip rotation and all this sort of stuff that they had to meet all these particular requirements that when you actually analyze the squat exercise, it's like, why does the person, or deadlift exercise even, why does the person need to meet all these requirements to be able to do that exercise, you know? And another thing to keep in mind is that like people always assume that like any sort of compensation is, is, is negative and that that is a bad thing. You know, people always say that, oh no, I feel like I'm compensating through one side or I'm compensating with one muscle over the other. And our starting assumption is always that that is harmful and we need to fix that. However, if someone has been, if someone tells me that they've been squatting for five years, they've been progressing fine, you know, and they've had plenty growth in their legs and everything's going just fine. And they come to me and they're really concerned that their hips are shifting slightly to one side at the bottom. 
and it's always happened to them, like why should I assume that that is a big problem? Like it is a technique deviation. It, for whatever reason, this person is expressing that deviation. I don't necessarily know that I can fix it. And even if, even if we did get to the point where we fixed it, what if it compromises the person's performance so much that they're no longer moving towards their goals? You know, because sometimes people will just present with some technique variations that you might assume to be perfect, but they, it's basically what happens only at their higher level of performance. And are you going to really take 50 kilos or 100 kilos off a powerlifter's lift just to have their technique meet some, some perfect standard? Sometimes, but to be honest, like not most of the time, because you, you can't always fix everything. You can't assume that people are going to move symmetrically all the time. You can't always assume that people are going to ex display symmetrical, um, like muscle balance from a hypertrophy perspective. Um, but there are cases where that might be more of a priority. Like for example, a bodybuilder symmetry is one of the characteristics of that that is graded. You know, so if the person is getting feedback from judges saying you're actually uh, not symmetrical enough, you need to bring up your left pec. You have a very clear reason why training your left pec specifically might be a good idea. But if that same person was a powerlifter and they see that, oh, my left pec feels a bit weaker and their bench press has been just fine, they've been progressing, like you don't have a reason to believe that you need to fix every asymmetry. And that's the same for athletes. You know, there's going to be many athletes who present with, with like fairly significant asymmetries depending on their sport. Like if someone plays baseball where they're rotating to one side all the time, if someone plays golf if someone plays tennis you know if you've got these different sports where there's potentially more dominance on one side of the body then we've got those asymmetries and we don't necessarily need to fix them you know um yeah just, so yeah. just on that like i think the the whole thing comes as well from i'm going to say somewhat of a bodybuilding perspective in terms of symmetry is the goal right whereas most individuals are not symmetrical both from just a, we'll call it a genetic standpoint like they have different muscle insertions muscle bellies like your pecs for example your two pecs look completely different you know um, and people have complete asymmetries just normally like that's that's the way their body has not just developed i'm not talking about the actual uh you know the stuff that they've done we'll get to that in a second but the actual way their body is genetically determined you know it's like the, your muscles just insert at this point you know that was just embryonically attached there you know that that happened before you were even quote-unquote born you know so like there's nothing you can really do about that that's a an asymmetry you're always going to have you know but then also you layer on top of that stuff you actually do in your everyday life like you may have a left right side asymmetry because you know you do stuff differently with your left and right side like you you have better you know riding with one side like i don't see people going like oh well you have to have perfect structural balance so we're going to regress you back now and start riding with your left hand because you've been right-handed your whole life so we need to build up that neurological control in your left hand because we need symmetry you know, like they're, they're not doing that. So it's, again, it's arbitrary to symmetry that they're creating, you know? And again, like you said, you could be involved in sports that have an asymmetrical component, right? And potentially fixing, quote unquote, fixing that asymmetry may actually be detrimental to that sport. Like for example, I box for 10 years. Like that's literally one foot forward, one foot back, one arm forward, one arm back. It's like, I'm rotated always from a starting position, you know? So you could be like, oh, we need to fix that. But is that actually going to enhance that individual's performance? And again, that's not to say that you can't do stuff to 
potentially mitigate some issues that may occur as a result of that. You know, if you're like, okay, there's a huge rotational demand on your spine here and it's all on one side, maybe we're going to do some rotational stuff on the other side just to ensure that, you know, strength is being, you know, controlled or expressed on that side as well. We're not trying to necessarily fix any deficits here, but we're just trying to ensure that both sides are strong, you know, like that in my mind, I'm like, that's a perfectly valid approach. You know, we're not trying to fix anything. We're just trying to ensure that everything is strong, you know? So that's the first thing. Symmetry is a bit of a, an illusion, a bit of a myth, you know? So again, that's not necessarily the goal. But as we said in one of the previous episodes, like if you think of things from the perspective of like, what does this incentivize? If, you're, if your thought process is always that we need to qualify for movements, you know, like where does that go? Because effectively you've, you've used complexification as your progression method. You're like this is a more complex move. This is a more complex move. Like why does it, first of all, have arbitrary strength standards for those moves, but then why does it also have an arbitrary endpoint? Like why don't you go from like back squats to a more demanding lift, like say front squats, you know, or like why, why don't you complexify it that way? If you're saying like, oh, back squats, they're going to build the, the quads. They're a great exercise for that. Why don't you make it harder and then use front squats? You've complexified the exercise. There's more, more of a demand on like the musculature you're trying to target. You know, oh, we're actually going to bring in uh, an upper body component to this as well in terms of, you know, getting your hands in that front rack position. So like where, where does that complexification end, you know? So that, that's also one of the things I'm like – if we start saying that you have to have qualifications that are arbitrary, you know, but maybe you have reasoning for them, then why are we also then saying that there's exercises that we want to get to? Cause that's also arbitrary. Like I, I I'm more of the opinion that again, we should just have a <clears throat> full movement uh, ability, you know, like, yeah, there are going to be movements that you're just not able to do. You're like, this just does not fit my body. It feels bad. You know, I feel like I'm weak but I still want you to be able to do it. You know, maybe we don't load that up a huge amount. You know, maybe that's not something that we're exposing you to frequently, but it is something that I want you to be able to do and not be fearful of, you know? And, um, but yeah, that's my kind of thoughts there. Yeah. The only, the only final thing that I'm thinking like what actually helps this conversation is like being aware or Yes, just being aware of what's, what I refer to as epiphenomena. And when I say epiphenomena, epiphenomena is, is something that occurs in with something else that people very often assume is causal. And an example of that would be if someone does have, let's say, left-right asymmetry in their shoulders and they ever get shoulder pain in the weaker side, they're always going to assume it's because the shoulder is weak. Right? There's assumed causality there. You know, it'd be the same if, if Paddy, you had, if on the side where your tibial tuberosity is larger, if you have knee pain there, it's like, it almost seems like that's the logical jump. Oh, he, he actually appeared with knee pain. Boom. It's definitely because of that. You know, it's the same in the back. If someone presents with, they've got low back pain and they had, they have a, a, a left, right asymmetry in their, their leg length. Again, we're assuming that, oh, we can uh, attribute causality to that. And it's almost like just this easy way out of saying that, oh yeah, look, can we find, like, we know that the person has pain, 
Now, let me see if there's anything that's different that, about them versus my kind of perfect ideal human. And then once we find that, boom, we, 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 found, we found the cause. Whereas when people don't have pain or they don't have any problems, like they don't actually think about, or like, why is that not a problem? No, you know, for example, like I've got left right asymmetry in my shoulder strength. I've got left right asymmetry in the size of my pecs. You know, I've had shoulder pain in both sides over time. So it would be, it would be silly to me for, for me to say, as soon as I have shoulder pain, oh, it's because one side's weaker. And then it's like, because what do I do then when the stronger side is sore? It's like, oh shit, like, like what's, what's my reasoning now? And it can be just so easy to fall into those traps of assuming that uh, like you can attribute causality to something because it happens to be present at the same time as something else. And I don't have a solution for you to just get out of that other than saying, look, be aware of that. Think about some of the other problems that maybe might be present in you or some of your clients that aren't necessarily presenting with symptoms at the moment. And then question that kind of simple thought process that if I see something that might be out of the ordinary, that's basically my explanation for your symptoms. Um, because like you always have to ask yourself, if, if, someone came, if someone presents, let's say, with low back pain because they've got um, that left-right asymmetry in their leg length and they've been living with that for 30, 40 years, and this is their first presentation with low back pain, like jumping and saying that, oh, it's the leg length difference. Like you're ignoring 30 or 40 years of evidence to the contrary, you know, that, that simply the presence of that is causal. Um, so yeah, like that's something that for people to be aware of because those epiphenomena, they pop up all of the time. Anytime you're talking about pain, anytime you're talking about um, a difference between left and right, um, a, an anatomical variation that might be present in someone. Um, so yeah, just be aware of that and, and think about how it might fit into this conversation. And there are just two other things that I want to address. But the first one is, how do we keep everything we've just said, right? And keep that, you know, there's benefits to this structural balance idea. There's also potential pitfalls, which are easily enough like avoided, you know, don't have these arbitrary, you know, standards and, you know, potentially keep teaching the other exercises that you want to progress them to uh, while you are addressing structural deficits. Like I think there, that if you do both of those things, I'm like, you have fixed all the issues or potentially fixed all the issues with the structural balance arguments, as well as if you layer on that, that you're not actually making people fearful of movement. You're not like, Oh, well, if you don't achieve, you know, whatever X amount of weight on the bar, uh, you're not allowed to do that. Like don't make people fearful. And I think you've achieved, you've, you've done everything you want to do from the structural balance point of view and you've enhanced that whole process. You know, you've, you've, you've fixed all the cons, right? However, I want to address something that kind of comes up all the time, all the time. Um, when we talk about any of these kind of things, but how do we effectively not become a movement nihilist then as a result of thinking like this? Like if you look at someone you're like, okay, the lad said, you know, or they, they come to it from the, the, the past exposure of like, I like people to achieve structural balance before I start getting them to load, you know, like bilateral exercises or whatever, you know? And they're like, I, I like, I have these standards. It gives me a progression scheme. I like having a protocol. I like having, you know, this, this on-ramp system. They're like, they're, they're, they're good with that. But then they're like, okay, the lad said that that could potentially lead to people being fearful around exercise that could potentially have some pitfalls because again, the standards are somewhat arbitrary, you know, like you might have good reasoning for it, but at the end of the day, it's like they, they are still arbitrary. You know, it's, it's, it assumes that 
everyone is symmetrical and it assumes that everyone is able to do these regressed exercises, these structural balance exercises, while they wouldn't be able to do a bilateral exercise, which is not necessarily the case. Like you might be great at squatting, but be terrible at like split squats. It just, it's terrible for your anthropometry. It just doesn't fit your, your biomechanics, whatever, you know, like that's, that is a potential thing that could occur. Right. But you're, you're thinking about it. You're like, I want to be a good coach. I want to be a good individual training myself. And this is what I was exposed to. There's some pitfalls to this that, you know, they've identified, but they've also given us a method of, you know, dealing with those pitfalls. So we're good. We're in a good position. However, every time I see this individual come in, right. And I'm, I'm doing what they said. And I'm like, I'm teaching them the, the squat pattern, you know, I'm like, I'm doing that. And then I'm going to move on to my structural balance work. I still like all that stuff, you know? So I'm going to teach them the squat pattern, but they come in and they're doing that squat pattern and you're seeing them, their valgus knee. They have, you know, you, you suspect they have a left, right side asymmetry and you see their, their hips shifting. And, you know, you see all these presentations that you're kind of like, this is exactly what I was trying to, you know, stop by doing this structural balance work. So I'm seeing them present with the stuff that I don't want. Right. And how can I, how can I not, how can I look at that and say, that's not an issue, you know, effectively become a movement nihilist, which I personally don't think is a good idea. You know, I think there are good components to that as well as bad components to that. And obviously that's a, a larger argument, but effectively how do they look at that individual moving poorly and then not jump in and be like, right, those lads were completely fucking wrong. This structural balance stuff is the way forward. Is it a case of just going, okay, well that, individual that is still presenting these you know asymmetries there they've got this hip shift or they've got this <clears throat> butt wink or whatever it is do they just go that's not an issue or is it a case of they go okay well they're still loaded inappropriately or they're at their their technique like they're not they haven't learned the movement yet so obviously it's not going to be good you know that this is their second time squatting you know they're uh, you wouldn't expect someone to be perfect at a technique uh, on their second exposure, you know? So is it a case of just, okay, keep them in a safe, potentially unloaded or adequately loaded environment until they're able to do things the way you think they should look? Or is it a case of, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. People are different. So they move however they want to move and that's fine. How do, how do we, how do we navigate that Gary? goes back to our medical ethics again. You know, it's, it's very, very nicely stated that doctors should not be capacity assessors, but rather capacity enhancers. And I think that it literally does apply so perfectly here again, because instead of saying like, right, I'm, I'm looking at this person, they've, they've come in, it's the first time, first time squatting, I'm assessing them, I'm assessing their capacity, and I'm saying, nope, nope, not a squatter, not ready, sorry, out of here, not in my gym. Like, instead of saying that, like, you're, you're trying to be, that basic, like basically that capacity enhancer. And what you have to think about there is like, all right, what can I actually do to help this person to come along to a level that I think might be a more appropriate level in terms of how one performs the squat, you know? So you see someone initially and right, they're, they're doing a couple of reps. They're doing the first couple of reps like shit, right? This doesn't, this doesn't look great, right? What you let them do first is you, you try to get them to self-correct, okay? So instead of stopping them on rep two, they just... Put, literally put the bar on the back, let them do 10 reps, right? See what happens. Like that, that happens so frequently. 
that you, like you, you'll never have seen it if you don't allow it to happen but you'll see where someone starts to do some reps and you know they do the first couple of reps and they start to find their groove and you know they can see in the mirror that maybe their knees coming in like are coming in together or they're slipping or their right foot's turning out and they start to correct some of those things themselves because like people aren't stupid like most people know that like all right if i am shifting way to one side and the bar is like tilting i can feel that and then you allow your motor system, you, your nervous system to start to correct some of those things on their own. And you might then say to the person, you don't just take them at the end of their set and say, Jesus, Sheila, that was awful. Fuck. That was awful, Sheila. Like you don't just say that. You say, right, look, this is what you did well, you know, and this is what we can potentially improve on for the next set. This is what I'd like you to try. And you might just give the person a very simple cue. So you don't immediately jump to like, that's not an exercise for you. You start by saying, Right, what I want you to think about doing this time is right, focus on this point out in front of you. And as you come to the bottom, I want you to think about pushing your knees out away from each other, you know, and whatever cue is, is relevant for the person. And you see what you can get from that. And very often, like across multiple sets, you know, with just the bar, you will see changes in people's technique that, that pop up. And it sort of, it sort of just do, does justice to our point in that. If, if someone is able to change the way that they move across multiple sets with just the bar without necessarily changing anything, you can see that the asymmetries that people present with and the technique deviations that they present with are not necessarily always the result of a true problem that needs to be fixed. Sometimes people are just unsure of how they should execute the exercise. They haven't done it before. You know, when someone, if, if for Irish people especially who, can, who can't ice skate, when you first try and go ice skating, the it's, fuck why did you just isolate irish people who can't ice skate the fuck are you racist or something because irish people don't ice skate and they're awful they go down to the ice rink and watch people trying to ice skate you're a scumbag <laughs> this is because you're fucking you're british it's because you're from the north isn't it yeah exactly well actually in belfast they have an ice hockey team but down south we don't have many ice hockey that's teams. what i'm saying i'm saying you are you're you're a brit and you're going oh us brits we can fucking ice skate you irish lads no 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 you're a scumbag yeah, I was skating in Birmingham once. But anyway, um, yeah, the point get on the ice, it's an awful experience. You look like an idiot. Your ankles are everywhere. You know, your hips are everywhere. You're falling. You can't hold yourself up. Like, if I was to adapt kind of personal trainer one-on-one logic, looking at you on the ice, I'd think, right, awful core stability. Look at him. He's falling over. Um, his knees are coming in. Valgus, he's got weak glute need. Uh, his ankles, God, he needs a lot of ankle strengthening. He's got flat feet because I'm looking at all, all these things and that's how I'm seeing you present on the ice. However, you know, suddenly Christmas in Killarney is here. You've got an ice rink here for two months and you start to go more times. And by the end of it, it's like, oh God, he's, he's moving really well, you know, or she's moving really well. She's, she's there on the ice. She's doing twirls. She's doing flips. Sick. Like, like if you were to actually like take an, an MRI of your, your, your level of muscle mass or anything like that, was there any significant changes there? Like if we were to do isokinetic dynamometry and, and assess your actual strength levels, would there be massive differences there? Like no, but what re- did really change was your ability to simply coordinate those movements. You started to learn, them, you adapted the skill. And weight training is no different. Although it's, it's somewhat less skillful than a lot of other sports in terms of like the, the, the range of skills that are required, there's still skill required. So you have to give people the opportunity to learn those skills. And as you alluded to Patty earlier, if we're not giving people the opportunity, then we're delaying that process and we're having them jump through all these hoops that we think might be helpful at the expense of getting into this learning process of the skills um, much sooner. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, as we said, you don't want to be a capacity assessor. You want to be a capacity enhancer. That does not mean that 
if like the, the enhancing component of that is that you're trying to do your best to make sure that the person does develop their comprehensive movement capacity um, for whatever they need to be able to do. So it doesn't mean that we don't use unilateral exercises anymore. It doesn't mean that you can't program a single leg leg press because you think that there actually is you know, a significant deficit on one side and we might want to improve that. But what it does mean is that you can get the person to learn the squat, you get them to do their reps, you, you include that in their program. If, the, if, the, if this is what they want to do, that's the key point as well. If that's what they want to do, they want to be able to squat, they want to be able to go to the gym, do, do the exercise that other people do, and you give them that opportunity. But you know, they, if they present to you and they're like, oh, you know, I did, I did have knee pain for ages. You know, my right, my right quad is smaller. I think I might benefit from, from, some, from some unilateral lateral strengthening. Then that's a very valid reason to potentially include some of that in their program. So you, you're enhancing, you're building robustness, you're building resilience by having a complete program rather than saying, oh, wait, your quads are weak, unilateral only, you know, you, you have to meet all these standards first. Um, because that, 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 that basically puts them on this timeline where, God, when am I going to get to the point where I can do all the other exercises? You know, when, I, when am I going to get to the point that I'm healthy enough to be able to engage in the programs that my other friends are engaging in? Whereas when you're getting the person um, doing all the, nor- the quote-unquote normal exercises, standard weight training, and they're also doing a little bit of this unilateral work, it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's like, oh, this is just my program. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not doing this as a, a trying to build me into a normal human, you know, because I think that, that can be harmful for people. Um, so that would be the way I would think about it. You can still absolutely rationally justify the inclusion of exercises that are potentially aimed at trying to reduce asymmetry um, if that's in line with the person's goal, if you think it's going to be useful. Um, but you don't just make it the sole focus of the program. Yeah, I think that's a good approach to it. And something that I've been doing lately and something I wish I did when I was like doing coaching people in person more. So if you're a personal trainer out there and you're coaching people in person, this is a potentially beneficial tip is, you know, like we obviously are an online business. We coach people online. And one of the ways we kind of ensure technique is on point for that individual is getting them to record their their sets and then sending them to us via whatsapp and we also do this in like the group coaching as well they send them in via facebook and again then from there like we kind of critique the exercise technique right and something i've been doing a lot lately is and it also helps with like learning like reps and reserve and stuff like that is getting the individual to critique that set themselves right and what i mean by that is because when you do this, you first of all see all of their thought processes, their biases, and what they think good exercise looks like, and the the potential injury risk of different exercises and whatever else, right? So you see you see a lot of the the individual's thoughts from this, but <clears throat> effectively get them to record the exercise, and then get them to assess their own exercise. And I know Gary's saying like, don't be an assessor, be an enabler, effectively. But w- part of that being an enabler is being able to look at something and assess it you know so it's not like just forget about that like you still need to be able to identify potential issues potential benefits potential downfalls you still need to be able to assess the situation you know you don't forget about that component you know the way you then deal with that component should be different you should be an enabler right but anyway that's a that's an aside but anyway getting them to look at their exercise and Again, we'll just use the squat because we touched on it a few times. You know, they might look at that and go, okay, I can see from recording that that, you know, I didn't actually reach depth 
And then when I did reach depth, I was getting some rounding in the low back and they might identify be like, actually my low back is sometimes quite sore after squatting. Right. Again, they, they're an individual. They may not have the exercise background that you do. So they don't know if that's correlative causative. They, they don't know. They're just like saying that, Oh, my low back is rounding. Sometimes it's sore afterwards. And then they're, they're effectively asking you a question there. Right. Or they might identify you're like, look, I'm doing that exercise. And it's usually around this point that I get a little bit of knee pain, right? Again, they're just telling you, they're, they're, they're just identifying what's going on with that exercise, you know? And they might also say something like, oh, my knees kind of come in here. And effectively, they're, they're looking at that exercise. They're picking it apart, right? And then telling you their experience with the exercise, how it felt, you know, and where they think potential pitfalls are going wrong. Right? And I, I'm really liking this rather than, me just jumping in straight away, right? And going, oh, you need to fix this issue. Here's a cue for this. Here's this, right? And the reason being, it it actually gives them more autonomy, right? And again, we've said it before, like our goal with coaching anyone is to effectively get them to a position where they don't need us, you know? And that's not to say like, so for example, group coaching, you might still want to engage with that because you just don't want, you don't need us, but you just don't want to think about programming. Same with online coaching. You might be like, look, I, I could do this myself, but I have a lot of other shit going on. I just, I want to outsource it. You know, that's still a, a valid reason, but I've actually want to get an individual to a position where they're able to assess their exercises. They're able to, you know, program their exercises. They're able to manage their diet, nutrition, lifestyle, all that kind of stuff themselves, you know, <clears throat> but recording the exercise again, if you're a personal trainer, you can record the individual squatting, doing whatever, obviously to get their consent, etc. Um, but you record them and be like, right, let's look at this set and you sit, you stand together, sit together, whatever. And be like, this is how things were moving when we were doing this. How did you feel at this point? What, what was your experience? You effectively get them to identify everything in that. And then you can, first of all, you get to effectively read their mind while doing this because they'll tell you their thought processes and, and you can be like, all right, this is, this is the biggest key that we need to focus on, right? So this cue here, again, it could be like, you see there, they've got this huge knee valgus going in or this left, right side asymmetry. Like you're not, as Gary was saying, you're not stopping them two reps in going, oh, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? No, 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 no. And like not letting them to ever effectively learn the exercise, but you're effectively going, right, this, these things that are occurring, you ask them, like, why do they think they're occurring? How do they feel when they occur? You know, you're effectively just, just being a a bystander bystander uh and listening to them talk about their experience of that exercise and then you give them like a simple cue you'd be like okay so as you were saying there your knees are kind of caving in at the bottom so you, you can even ask them to give themselves a, a cue themselves you know if you're like you do a squat yourself you're like this is how we generally want to see a squat look like right and then you can ask them like what what do you think would be a good cue to help us make your squat look more like this, right? And they might be like, oh, well, I could push my knees out a little bit, you know, because you seem to have your knees out to the sides when I seem to have my knees like caving in. And you're like, okay, so can we try that in our next set, right? And you go, okay, cool, let's do that. And then as they're doing that, they'll try correct correct their exercise. They might be like, okay, um, I'm going to try that cue. I'm going to try push the knees out a little bit. I'm going, to, I'm going to try what you're telling me to do or effectively what they told themselves to do and see how that gets on. You know, and again, you record that set and you go, okay, let's look at this. And you're like, oh, look, that was much better than the last set. Maybe you don't say better because sometimes that's not a great word to use, but you'd be like, this is a much more effective way to 
do that exercise than the way you were doing it previously, right? And how did that feel? They're like, oh, well, my knees hurt after the first one, but they're not actually, they're not, they're not sore after that one. It felt a bit better. I felt a bit stronger. I felt, you know, whatever. Again, like I'm finding it's a much better way to coach individuals as they send you exercise videos. You know, obviously you don't have to do that all the time. Generally, there's a learning curve for certain exercises. And then after that, you can effectively go back to just cueing someone because they already know what you mean by that they already have uh, an ability to assess their own exercise technique like maybe you do this for whatever six weeks you're coaching an individual and you're the first six weeks you're like send me videos i want them to analyze it and be like this this is what i felt this is what i think is going wrong you help them with their thought process around exercise and then you also help them with their actual exercise execution and then whatever, six to eight weeks, like that's a, a good enough time for, you know, neurological adaptations to occur. So you're like, we, we've got some good solid technique now and we can effectively use just simple cues from here on out where it's like, all right, you already know when I say knees out, you know what that means. You, you already know, you know, why we're doing that because you've looked at your own videos and you're seeing, okay, so when he says knees out, it's because my knees are caving in here. Like this is what the, the outcome is if I don't do that. And this is what I want to do. You know, whatever the cue is again for that individual, that specific situation, you know, and um, I'm finding that much more beneficial. And it also somewhat allows you to deal with this whole nihilistic approach to exercise where you're like, oh, uh, it really doesn't matter what way you squat, you know, like that's, it's obviously not, correct like there are are obviously better and worse ways of doing things you know and that's not necessarily from the perspective of you know everyday life you know obviously it is but um just from the perspective of optimizing the results we're trying to achieve you know like if you're trying to target a certain muscle group and you're doing the exercise in a way that doesn't target that muscle group or targets that muscle group less effectively you know, for example, you might be like, oh, well, knees forward in a squat will get more quad activation. Again, that's, that's a, a gross uh, simplification, but we'll say knees forward in a squat gets more quad activation and you're trying to build your quads with the squat and all of a sudden you're squatting with a technique where your your hips are going back. You're getting fucking literally no knee flexion at all. It's all just like hips back, kind of like a a powerlifting style squat. And you're like, okay, well, this is maybe not the best way we can do this exercise for your end goal. So there definitely is better ways to do exercises for a given goal. However, at the same time, it's like I can I can understand why there's a it's hard to not want to make everyone fit into this kind of cookie cutter. This is how you do this exercise, you know. And then at the same time, the opposite side of the spectrum where it's like all exercise is valid you know it's all cool there's no better it's all equal yay you know it's like that's just not true as well you know anyway do comment gary i agree that's it that's terrible i agree that's 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 all i say now once we reach the hour mark of the podcast like i totally agree that was a great point so i can say anything just at minute 59 well, I loved your little, you know, your little postmodern exercise ana- analysis, you know, nothing, nothing matters. You know, all these exercise techniques where they were basically built by personal trainers to try to get power over their clients. That was it. Yeah. Pretty much. And, and what you're saying is then we're the, the revolutionaries. We're giving people autonomy. We're, we're giving back to the people. Is that what you're back saying? Is that what you're saying? 
Pretty much, yeah. It's pretty sound of us. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, to wrap it up, Gary, do you have anything else to add to the conversation? And if you could do a little bit of a wrap up of the kind of two approaches we're talking about, just to kind of summarize the episode. Yeah, basically, like in summary, things are a lot less clear cut than we try to make them seem. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice to try to put things into particular systems and giving people a stepwise approach to doing everything. It makes things seem simpler, but you always have to consider what the actual trade-offs are. And as you said, you know, like what it actually incentivizes. And I think in this case, like some of the incentives that we start to build are potentially not particularly helpful as we've discussed throughout this episode of the podcast. Um, so like if, if you, if we break it down again, what we were referring to in this podcast are the types of like structural balance ideas that are, that are that often proliferate within the fit, fitness industry, whether that be left, right, um, whether it be a quads, hamstrings, um, you know, antagonistic muscle group that there needs to be some particular balance there, those sorts of things. Um, again, as we said, they often stem from, like relatively sound reasoning in some places, as we said, post ACL surgery, post multiple hamstring tear, um, those types of things. We can we can see examples of where these thought processes are very appropriate. But when we start to apply them to everyday people who may not necessarily have like pathological like treatment, pathological conditions that need to be that need to be treated that need to be brought back to baseline within a physiological range it can be a bit of a problem when we start to adopt that thought process. Um, so as we said, there's, that doesn't mean you can't use these ideas. You can bring them into your program. You could potentially say to someone that they might benefit from bringing up strength in a particular muscle or on a particular side of the body if it's relevant for them. But you're going to do that alongside a program that's actually in line with their goals and it's actually going to be enjoyable and they're going to be able to adhere to. Because I think one of the things that we risk here is that we bring in a person who is a new client. They're just about to start their quote-unquote exercise journey. It's their first time in the gym. And if their first six to 12 weeks are spent doing exercises that have no relevance to them, you know, that, that are really boring, that they feel they're not really progressing on, that seem very arbitrary, and there are all these hoops that someone has to jump through before they can get to the exercise that they want to do, I worry that that could stop that person from actually engaging in the exercise in the first place and that they mightn't get through those first six to 12 weeks. And as any personal trainer knows, if we're trying to build, if we're trying to build adherence, we're trying to, you know, elicit some sort of behavior change, getting as much as we can out of that initial period and making sure the person is buying in is really important, you know, otherwise potentially compromise that person's health for for their lifetime you know obviously you can't necessarily blame a personal trainer for that but it, it could be one of the potential outcomes and um, the same with the progression and regression thing it's obviously a very there's very clear examples of where progressing from a quote-unquote lower level exercise to a higher level exercise is very useful most of the time in weight training the good thing is we just do that through weight in the bar um, so it doesn't really look like it's a progression regression thing but there are examples such as push-ups and pull-ups and other bodyweight exercises where we actually have to start with a variation that is different to the true variation because if you can't do one push-up you can't do one push-up you know you can't just say oh try <laughs> try harder you know there's a case of for someone doing an elevated push-up or doing a band assisted push-up and these di different types of variations so there are obvious examples of where regression and progression fit in really really well um a, an example that mightn't be so helpful would be telling someone they need to practice you know, hip hinges with a dowel for six to 12 weeks before they can even get near the bar to practice the deadlift. That's probably not that helpful because again, it's creating a very significant barrier 
and it's not exactly clear when someone is prepared to be able to do the exercise. So all in all, what we would generally suggest, I think, is trying to be basically that capacity enhancer where you're getting the person on the path that they want to be on. So getting them doing the exercises that are most relevant to their goal. And, and that always comes back to like your reasoning as a trainer. You know, so not everyone needs to do a back squat and a deadlift, as you very well know at this point. But it might be something that they actually want to do because they want to be in the gym environment. They want to be part of the culture. And, and that's something that's underrated at times, I think. Um, so, yeah, you get them on the path. And then you can support them by building in any of these any of these tools that you think might actually be helpful. For example, someone wants to be able to do chin-ups, they can't currently do chin-ups, getting them to do bad and assisted chin-ups, or doing some neutral grip pull-downs or supinated pull-downs or whatever as a, a builder up to that point, like that's a useful case where like this is a good prerequisite before you're able to do chin-ups. Um, so there's useful examples, not so useful examples, and hopefully there's something there that you can actually take away. Yeah, basically, if they come across, come away from this podcast and going, look, there's clearly, and I mean very clearly benefits to this idea of structural balance, right? If you then go, okay, there are some issues with this. And I, I don't think you even covered all of the potential issues with it because, again, that just comes into a, a discussion of training modalities overall. But if you are a structural balance guy and you're like, I need to have, you know, an equal amount of back work to pressing work or else you're just going to fucking blow everything in your shoulders out the window. And, you know, if you look at that and go, okay, well, is that actually supported by the, the literature? Is that actually supported by the actual outcomes I see in the individuals? And, you know, you might go, yeah, it actually is supported by the outcomes I see in the individuals. And if you just look at this and go, okay, I know I want to have some prerequisites to help people get engaged in exercise and then also keep them healthy with an exercise like there's no real issue with going okay i want to have my push and my pull ratio on point you know the, the exact same but for an individual they might have a an overdeveloped back you know you don't often see it but <laughs> it is a, a possibility you know and they might just have no pushing musculature you know it's like for that individual you might be doing them a disservice with that ideology you know and again, it may be helpful, but if you just keep in your mind and go, there's clearly some downfalls, there's clearly some benefits. If I can potentially shore up some of these downfalls, you know, they may be able to identify more of these downfalls themselves um, and shore them up, effectively not delay people from exercise. You know, like obviously there are situations where it's unfortunate but you just have to delay someone from exercise again if they can't do any chin-ups they can't even do any band assisted chin-ups like there's not not much you can do be like all right we're going to keep teaching you the technique when all they do is fail you know it's like that's that's not really helpful you know um you might be like all right cool we're actually going to start you off on you know uh, a chin-up assisted machine you know the the weight assisted it pushes you up you know you're like okay cool it's not the exact same technique but it's helping you learn the technique or if you don't have one of them in your gym you're just like okay cool um let's try some bands maybe they're like i still can't really get it down the, the band isn't giving me enough tension you don't have sufficient band tension in your gym um you might be like okay cool let's get on the lap pull then let's actually build some strength with the goal of building towards that because again like this is something that you don't like especially with the structural balance stuff, the, the exercises you're doing don't necessarily build capacity in the exercise you want to get to. You just 
assume that they do you just effectively hope that they do but it's not a one-to-one -one correlation or a direct correlation even again chin-ups is a good one because you might be a fucking animal at lap pull downs but you're not actually able to integrate that into chin-up performance because you've never actually performed a chin-up you know you've never actually done it yourself you know anyway that that's everything i have to say well probably not everything i have to say but we are past that hour mark gary and that's it. Um, so where can people find us, follow us, engage with us, do whatever? Yeah. So as always, you can engage with the triage method newsletter it goes out every Sunday. You can subscribe to that at the, this in the description box below. That's where you receive all our content that we've put out across the week and any interesting content that we've come across in book form in podcast form in video form in research paper form in article form, whatever it is, you'll get that into your inbox every Sunday. So subscribe, no catch. You also get like a free ebook that we've designed on the five steps to better health, performance, and body composition. You know, pretty basic stuff for a lot of you, but you know, some nice reminders in there, stuff that you can pass on to your family. Useful nonetheless, and it's free, so why not? Um, of course, you can join the Triage Meth community on Facebook. That is our Facebook community where we have some productive discussions, sharing some useful resources that again, we found across the internet that we think might be useful. Um, so if there's other businesses, other, other individuals that are writing articles that we think are good, we'll share them in there, we'll pop them in there. Um, and of course, you can follow us on social media, uh, the Facebook page you can follow, you can follow our Instagram page, you can follow our YouTube channel, that'd be useful. Um, and yeah, of course, subscribe to the podcast as well, it would be really beneficial. Leave a, leave a rating and review, um, and let us know what you think, let us know if there's anything that we can improve on. Good news is that Blue the maker of our microphones is currently sending me out a new microphone. So I'm looking forward to that. Very good customer service. Shout out to them. Um, so the audio will hopefully be improved then as a result of that. Um, and maybe you can fix your internet then as well. It's good in Cork now because I got my ethernet cable, but we're in is the chat this week. So it's it? not as fantastic. Um, and finally, of course, you can engage with our services, one-to-one -one coaching. And this is the time of year that a lot of people do sign up or at least in two weeks time. So we do have a number of clients that will be starting in, in, in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to that. If you're interested in that, do get involved. You can check out the information below. If you're not as interested in like the hands-on one-to-one, I say hands-on, it's still online. One-to-one, <laughs> -one, um, the more intensive service, you know, more specific to you, then you can engage with the group coaching. That's also a viable option, um, much cheaper, and there's male and female options there as well. Um, and of course, you can check out the, the program templates or our beginner's guidebook in the store, and that's about everything. That's perfect, Gary. And that's just on that, first of all, those beginner guidebooks, beginner guidebook and then program templates would make a great Christmas present or New Year's present, um, just, just saying. Um, if you are so inclined and um, so would group coaching however you know that is a, a monthly recurring service so potentially you don't want to pay for someone's entire year's transformation but we will likely be running a uh, discount on that for the first whatever two to three weeks of the new year so if you are considering signing up and you're like look i want to get the best deal possible for the entire year i probably would hold off until then um even though, yeah, that doesn't make us money in the next two weeks or so, but still, um, I would also suggest that if you do like our content, you do get some benefit from it, you know, 
and you think there are people that would benefit from engaging in either one-to-one or group coaching, just send them our way. Like we can have a chat with them or whatever, but that is something that, you know, people kind of forget. Like I was even talking to one of my friends who listens to the podcast and they kind of forget that we are actually a business as well you know, <laughs> um, but they were like, Oh, actually I didn't realize that, you know, telling other people to, you know, engage with those services that you offer would actually help the, the business. Like they were just kind of thinking like every time we did this marketing spiel at the end, they're like, Oh, like I don't need to engage with those. Services. Well, they actually did engage with the services. They bought an ebook. So there's that. Um, but they didn't realize or rather they just just didn't think about it that they could also then tell other people and that is something that if you're a personal trainer listening to this you know it is something that is probably the most beneficial way to market things and that is word of mouth so if you have clients and you haven't i've never asked them to you know ask like their friends family if they would be interested in personal training or online training or whatever then you're probably doing yourself a disservice you know and again it doesn't have to be pushy be like do you have any friends going to their head like oh fuck do you have any friends that would like this you know like that's not what i'm saying it's like you can just ask people do they know anyone that'd be in a similar situation to them especially if they are your ideal client like ask people or ask do they know other people that are also likely to be your ideal client you know and so yeah just on that if you are listening to this and you're like jesus actually fuck i've never actually told anyone i listen to this podcast or i've never told anyone that i follow those triage boys uh, or i've never you know told anyone to engage with any of the services for for that podcast or for those guys and then please make that your new year's resolution to tell everyone yeah i have nothing else to say gary it's too easy all right well uh we'll see you guys again on thursday